I'm really excited to teach from this scripture today. And I don't know what God has in store for this 1045 service, but so you don't get nervous. It's a five-point sermon, and I only shared two with the 9 a.m. service. So this may be a part one this week and a part two next week. Nevertheless, I've just wasted 30 seconds explaining that. The title of this message is Hearing His Voice in Your Generation. If you study Christianity, you'll see this, that in different places around the world, what has occurred is when the gospel permeates a culture and really changes lives, over time, if God's people don't keep the fire and fervor and focus on the Lord, a couple of things occur. Is, is the people grow, grow what John wrote in Revelation as lukewarm, and they have a kind of a low religious stance or there's low religious involvement and when there is involvement it's quite uh, habitual it's not necessarily from the heart secondly you see that the leaders of God's people begin to um, have corruption among them and and the leaders of God's people begin to enjoy the benefits of a widely accepted Christianity and culture And so this has happened over and over again. And there's even been some cycles of this in our country. But a couple of things that come to mind further back in Europe is the Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church had become by and large corrupt. And now I say that and say that not everyone part of that church was corrupt because God always has a remnant. But there was so much power connected with the government and so much money involved that God raised up many reformers, and the one that we think of the most is Martin Luther, who Martin Luther confronted the sin among leadership in the church. Martin Luther corrupted some of the accepted practices that were unbiblical. I preached a whole sermon about this last fall as we, as we recognized 500 years since the Reformation. And we know that Luther was a complicated person, and there's things about his life that we don't like now or or that is not biblical or accepted, but God used him nonetheless and Wycliffe and others like him, John Tess, to bring about change in the church that we as Protestants now benefit today. About a hundred years after that in the 1600s, the church of England also was full of corruption and was giving preference to those with wealth and those with money and was not Uh, was not always practicing biblical Christianity. And so there was a group called the Puritans who wanted to purify the church, that wanted the church to go back to that which was truly biblical. And they were not accepted because the religion, the Church of England was connected with the government. And so we know the pilgrims came here in 1630 and from the 1640s on 10,000s, thousands of people, let's put it that way, Thousands of Puritans came to this country and were part of the culture of of, of establishing a country with religious freedom. We see this, that wherever Christianity, uh, the gospel goes, is after a while, if it's not checked, if God's people don't stay in repentance, corruption occurs. So it is that this history is not just a Christian a Christian history. It goes back to Judaism too. And it goes all the way back to the story that we we just read together. Is that God's people were not serving him 
fervently. We're not focused on him. They had become comfortable. They were at this point worshiping in a place called Shiloh, another city. God had not yet established Jerusalem. And and Eli, they, they had chosen a king, and Eli was now the prophet, and Eli had sons who were corrupt, and we'll read about them in a moment. So God had to raise up someone else. He raised up Samuel, and he raised up someone who heard the voice of God in his generation. And I want you to hear this today. You are a Samuel. You are a Samuel. God wants you to hear his voice and to speak his word and to be a person with whom God can uh, send his presence and power upon. And that's what this sermon is about. This sermon is about, about you. Now, how, how old was Samuel when God spoke to him? He was probably in his early teens. We know this because uh, the same language used to describe uh, Samuel was used to describe David when he conquered he conquered Goliath and, of course, the lion and the bear. And so this wasn't like a teeny, teeny child. This was probably a preteen or an adolescent. And here he was, someone, you may or may not know this, that was given to the temple of God by his mom, Hananiah. And he was growing up in the temple. But here's the part that scares me for myself. It alarms me for my children. It alarms me for the children in this church. And it alarms me from you, for you. Just because you're around the things of God doesn't mean you hear the voice of God. This is going to be a theme from this. And this is why I hope this scripture is alarming to us. And it wakes us up out of a slumber. Samuel was in a slumber. And and it causes us to refocus our attention and, and make sure that our ears are in tune with what the Holy Spirit has to say. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. The work of God manifest in different ways for different eras. The work of God manifests in different ways for different eras. Look at verse 3 with me. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. And here's a sad statement. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. This is not a good thing. This is symbolic of people who are going through religious practices and who are going through the motions, but there's nothing fresh. There's nothing convicting. There's nothing timely. There's nothing that cuts to the heart. There's nothing that causes people that brings them to a point of change. It's just people going through the motions, fooling themselves, and and going through the motions in the temple. And we find out that when there's no fervency and there's no presence of God, that even in the house of God, there becomes sin. Sin begins to develop and fester and grow and spread in the house of God when there's no invitation to the presence of God. We find out more about this in Judges chapter 21, verses 25, that describe the times. It said this, In those days, there was no king in Israel... Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And people were not interested in spiritual leadership. People weren't interested in what was revealed through the Ten Commandments. People weren't interested in self-restraint. People weren't interested in self-control. Everyone was just doing whatever seemed right to him. They weren't interested in the leadership of God. This is not a some type of uh, go around trying to trick you into some kind of 
authoritative, spiritual authority type of, uh, of lesson. I, I'm, I'm talking about the presence of the Lord. I'm talking about the revelation that came from the Torah, which is now part of our scripture, that God is wholly set apart. There's something different. There's something unique about God. And so the author sets up a contrast. Here's the contrast. The contrast is Samuel, the young man, the young boy who is new and who has been dedicated to the temple of God. And then the two sons of Eli who were corrupt and full of sin. And, and you'll see that throughout these, these passages, if you go back and read them later, this contrast is continually uh, shown to those who read. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting with verse 22. It gives us more context. This, when Eli heard the first time about the judgment of the Lord. It says, now Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, this is, this is always relevant, but especially relevant with what's happening in our culture now where we're seeing how the abuse of power has caused sexual predators to take advantage of their power uh, to, to abuse people. And this was happening here millennia ago in the house of God. And it can happen in the house of God if the presence of God is not invited and if the word of God is not followed. And he said to them, why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all the people. No, my sons, this news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, if you can help me out the next slide, who can intercede for him? This was before Christ, of course. But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. By contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So you see the contrast there. Sons of Eli who actually sinned in the house of God. And, and, and Samuel who was in the house of God and there was a progression. There was a growth. There was a development. And that development positioned him to hear the voice of the Lord when that voice was called. And I want to say to those of us who have spiritual privileges, those of us who have grown up around the things of God, grown up around the house of God, I want to speak this to myself, who I actually get paid uh, to do spiritual practices. And that's a gift. I, I don't mean that to brag. I don't. It's a humble gift. But I, I want to acknowledge that. For those of us who, who receive some sort of, of income or payment to work for the church, for those of us who have grown up around the church, let's not treat our spiritual privileges lightly. Let, let's not become entitled. Let's not be, begin to think that, that we have special privileges or that, that we're somehow set apart from God and so the rules don't apply to us. God's word applies to every person because his word is holy and he is special. And so we submit to God. He does not submit to us. And so why was the word of the Lord rare? Why was the Lord, word of the Lord rare that we heard in verse 1? It's because sin was in the house of God. Because when there's sin in God's house, then there's nothing fresh. There's no new revelation. It's the same old story. That's why there's, there's I mean, I don't really attend other churches. So I can't really speak to other churches. But, but, but I, I can just 
imagine in my mind, imagine in my mind that, that there are churches where there's just no life there. I mean, it's just spiritual death, spiritual death. I mean, I have been to some of those through the years here and there. I'll give you, you want to hear the list of who they are? No, I'm just joking. And this is not to be prideful because I do believe that, that pride is, is a destruction. And I don't, I don't want to set us up like we're better than other churches and all that. I, I'm just talking about there's some places you know God's there and some places you don't. And when you begin to walk with God, you begin to sense that God's there. And you begin to sense that God's acting. He's acting through the sermon. He, he's, he's moving. His presence is in the worship. His presence is in the communion. You can sense his love, like there's vitality in life in the way the people interact. There's just stuff that's happening. There's stuff that's going on. God, God is on the move. And one of the ways that that continues is when, when God's leadership walks in repentance. And guys, this is a June, this is a June sermon, you know, so we're kind of the core is here. I know we might have some people visiting and some people checking us out and stuff, but I mean, this, these summer months, it, 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 it's somewhat the faithful few in June, July, July gets rocking again after July 4th. So here we are, here we are the core, here we are the people. Guys, when we walk in repentance, when we say no to sin, when we don't just follow our own desires, but we actually constrain impulses that offend God. When we, when we actually walk away from things we prefer because we are not trying to be good boys and girls. It's because we know that purity and holiness is the doorway to the presence of God. And can I just tell you, when we're hungry for God, we'll want to change. We won't have to change. That's part of the problem. You see that if you, if you just, if I guilt you into, you need to change, shame on you. You guys aren't doing this. You guys need to correct this. And, and I have to think for you and I have to tell you what's good and I have to tell you what's bad. There's limited impact for that. But when you're a person who seeks the heart of God and seeks the mind of God and you have a friendship with God and you know that his presence is what makes the difference and the touch of heaven is what comes to your soul and it means that the divine is touching earth and it's touching your body and it's touching who you are, then you want to say no to the things you know that do not please God. You're pushed forward. You're pushed forward. And and here it is, guys. The word of the Lord is going to get stronger and stronger for the people of God when the people of God want God. If 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 you don't want God, if you don't want his voice, if you don't want his direction, if you don't want his input, if you don't want to adjust your life to God, but you just want to get just a little bit enough of Jesus so you're not scared of the afterlife, you, you, you can have that disposition, but there'll be no transformation. There'll be no power. There'll be no anointing. There'll be no change. And the word of the Lord will not be fresh to you. And we'll be among those people that they can look back at the year, the decade of the, the tens. Is that what they call us now? Look back to the 2020s and they said the, the word of the Lord was rare. Why? Because those people had money. Unemployment now is under 4%. Historic unemployment. Energy prices aren't too bad. We're mobile. We can go. We can do. We can make choices. These things are gifts from the Lord. I do not. I do not belittle. I'm not one who belittles wealth because I've been a beneficiary of it. So, so hear me that. But I know this is the love of money is the root of all evil. And when, when, we, when we begin to love our money and love our options and love our freedom and love our 
neat opportunities more than we love our God, our soul's in danger. Instead, we have to let God sanctify all things. He sanctifies all things that are good because every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so I want your kids to excel and I want you to have experiences together and I want you to enjoy this creation we live in. And some of you have, this is a completely hypothetical story, but you have a great Canadian fishing trip planned. I don't know if anybody, if, if I do, I'm a prophet of the Lord. Um, <laughs> And I want you to go on your Canadian fishing trip and I want the presence of God to be with you. And I want you to catch those fish with the glory of God and his creation there because the presence of God is in you and on you. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want your soul, your soul to be unattached to the Lord and, and separated from the Lord because you love his earth more than the one who created the earth. So this is, this is the subtle temptation we have of deception. And that's why the word of the Lord is rare. The word of the Lord is rare is because the, there's sin in the house of God. There's sin among the leadership. There's sin among the people. And the people aren't hungry for the word of the Lord. You know what happens? What happens when we don't eat for a long time? I, I know it's hard to imagine that looking at your pastor here. But I have fasted on a regular basis through the decade, through the years. <laughs> so I do know this, is when, when we don't eat, we lose our appetite. And, and if you're ever in a situation when you've been dehydrated, and I hope you haven't been, because dehydration is so important, but you, when you become dehydrated, you actually don't want water. It's really weird. You often don't want that. And we have a sense of spiritual hunger and spiritual dehydration. God's people have been starved of his fresh word. And so you're not hungry for the things of God anymore. You're not thirsty for the spirit of God anymore. You've lost your appetite for the things of God. You've lost your appetite for that which is holy. And the Lord wants you to know this. Is he wants to put a new hunger in you. Because he said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled in a way that only God can do. Amos chapter 8 verse 11 said this. Hear this. The days are coming. This is part of, of the judgment of the Lord that we don't want. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Let us not be among those in our generation that lets there be a famine because we've lost the appetite for that which is holy. We've lost the thirst for righteousness. We've lost the desire for the things that are, are transcendent, that take us to the heavenly places because we're so happy here on earth, we have no hunger for heaven. Let us not be among those people. Let us, let us seek the Lord while he may be found. Here's number two. You're only going to get two today also. So I guess three, four, and five will be next Sunday perhaps. I've already stated this, but I'll make this more plainly. One can be near the worship of God, but not recognize the voice of God. Oh, this startles me for my soul, and it startles me for my children, and it startles me for your children, and it startles me for you. Verse 3, before the lamp of God had gone out. This is verse 3. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple. Now, this, this lamp of God was lit throughout the night to represent the presence of the Lord. And so as dawn approached, those who were taking care of the temple would wake and make sure there was enough oil in the lamp. 
And so this, this part of the scripture is certainly a timestamp. It's letting us know that the word of the Lord came close to dawn. But I also believe that's a symbolic word there too. Before the lamp of God had gone out. Before the fire had gone out. Before the presence of God had been extinguished. Uh, before there was no representation of that which was holy and divine and set apart. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. And the Lord called to Samuel there. The Lord is calling for people. And he's calling in your generation. And he's wanting your ears to be in tune with what his spirit is saying. But Samuel, let's read the rest of the scripture, verse 4. The Lord called to Samuel and he answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Look at verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, I want to share something with you about the next generation. And I know our time is almost to a close. Uh, I believe the children and the teenagers of this church are going, are going to heaven. Now, teenagers don't use that as an excuse now. We're scared to tell teenagers that because they're like, oh, cool, I'm going to go do whatever I want. No, that's not the case. So I, I believe that I have reason to believe that. I know not everyone here is going to agree with me on that, 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 that our, our children are covered in the covenant. But I do believe this. I, I believe that, that our children and teenagers are not fully Christians yet. Meaning this is their faith is very vulnerable. I'm not discounting what God does at VBS. Again, I said they're safe. I'm not discounting what God does here at the presence of the Lord that's here in communion. I just know this. I just know that uh, elementary kids and junior high kids and teenagers and college students, faith is so vulnerable. It's so vulnerable. And, and they're, they're fully Christians in the sense that they're going to heaven by grace and all that. But, but maybe I, I should come up with a better description. Their discipleship is not fully developed is a better way to put that. And you know, I don't want to disrupt everyone. Everyone's going to be so disrupted by that. They're going to forget what the Lord's saying here. We have our children and teenagers who are around the things of God, but some of them haven't heard the voice of God yet. They haven't had that encounter with the presence of the Lord yet. That's why we create things like Camp Blast, like Vacation Bible School, like, like our frontline camp to the beach. That's why we have an Awana program. That's why we have age-specific ministry to kids. Uh, that's why retreats are so important. That's why the Alpha Retreat is so important for adults because those are young Christians. I mean, some who aren't even Christians who go on the Alpha Retreat. And, and we, we give them a context to hear the voice of the Lord, to hear the presence of the Lord. And it's both. Can't you see that Samuel, unlike Eli's son, progressed in the temple of God? God, through education, through repetition, through exposure, through being near mentors like Eli, by, by being near the worship of God and the presence of God, and even participating in ministry. Samuel was, was part of 
of temple practice and, and of preparing the temple and getting it ready for God's people. But there was a special time when he heard the voice of God. And may that happen for us. I want all of us to hear the voice of God again. I don't want to be a, a Christian, first of all, much less a pastor, that I'm near the things of God, near the observation of worship, but my ears are not in tune with the Spirit of God. I want to share our psalm for today. And Beth, you can come and prepare as we prepare to go to our decision time. Our psalm today is from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty, and I'm unable to reach it. I, I see that part where he says, Lord, um, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my thoughts. One of the things, one of the, I guess, revelations the Lord wants to get from the scripture is it was there at dawn as Samuel laid in the bed and he laid down that he heard the voice of the Lord and the Lord is going to start speaking to some of you near dawn and, and at night you know the night is, is a time for our fears to come into our minds sometimes irrational thoughts, sinful thoughts, sometimes thoughts that are just crazy thoughts. And we, we begin to imagine all these scenarios. Paranoia comes over our mind. But the Lord, the Lord wants to redeem that time. And the Lord wants to remind you you're like a Samuel. And there, there's a time, this doesn't happen every morning for me, but it ha- happens often each month. I, I'll wake up, and before I get up and, and start preparing for the day, I'm there in the presence of God just begins to just speak to me. It may be an idea. It may be insight on a situation here at the church. It may be something I read in my devotions the day before. It may just be an assurance of his love, but there's a moment. And for some of you, maybe it won't be at the, at the end of a night's sleep. Maybe it's at the beginning of a night's sleep. A lot of times, the only time we're still before the Lord is when we're actually physically resting because we don't give God that space. And so the Lord wants that space before you go to bed as you wake up in the morning, give the Lord those thoughts. Give the Lord those thoughts. He's been preparing you. Guys, I mean, we, a lot of us are just well-fed people. We've had lots of devotions. We've, we've been through lots of Lifeway small group Bible studies and women's Bible studies and men's uh, small groups. And we've got all the seed of this word. And, and I love the word. I, I mean, you know this. I mean, we, we didn't even get through our passage today. But that word brings his presence too. It's the fruit. The fruit of his word is his presence. His word is his presence. And, and the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to you in new ways. And all, all that knowledge... All that preparation, all that faithfulness. The Lord honors your faithfulness. The Lord honors your commitment to his house. The Lord honors the place that you've been. All of that is going to begin to culminate when he begins to speak to you in a fresh way. In a fresh way. And and you think you've heard the voice of the Lord before. But we haven't heard the voice of the Lord as clearly as we will. Because the Lord speaks in a fresh way to a new generation. I want us to stand in the attitude of prayer. You know, it's good sometimes to review our history a little bit. And I want to remind you 
I do this occasionally, but we need to uh, be reminded that before even the Declaration of Independence was declared, the colonies were in a difficult place spiritually. Sometimes we think that all the people who lived before the Civil War were spiritual. Not so much the case that uh, there was a lot of drunkenness and partying and, and, and the colonies were not in good shape spiritually. But God, God sent sent some men from England, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and they begin to declare God's word. And there was a break, break, there was an anointing and there was a breaking and all up the, the Atlantic seaboard in the 13 colonies, there was something we now call the great awakening, which was a cultural change. And that happened once before. And then it happened again in what we call the second great awakening. Not far from here, only about 30 to 40 minutes north of Springfield, Tennessee, and up in southern Kentucky on a campground there. There was, uh, and these frontier people and frontier churches, there was a move of God that began to awaken the soul of America in the early 1800s. And there was a second great awakening. And God touched his people again. And then we often don't talk about what happened in the years after the Civil War when there was a holiness movement. And then in 1908, in Los Angeles at Azusa Street when the Spirit of God came in fresh ways and it was a multicultural move of God where African Americans and whites and Latinos worship together because the Spirit of God does does not know difference and He brings people together like He did in Acts chapter 2. And then we've seen a move of God in the 1960s and the 1970s where the Holy Spirit began to move in fresh ways on His people. Now it's our time. We're here. We're moving into the 2020s and won't be here. Who will we be? What will God do? What will our, our, our generation, what we are the characteristics of our generation? A, a, a Christianity of convenience? A, a, a Christianity when it's occasionally uh, advantageous to us? Or will we be like like Eli's sons that we will benefit from the house of God? We will benefit and it'll be a place where where, uh, sin occurs. It'll be a place for economic advantage. It will be a place where uh, people get uh, metaphorically fat off off the offerings of God's people. Or will there be a new generation? Will there be a Samuel who was preparing himself and he heard the word of the Lord in a fresh way? Because you'll hear next Sunday, if we get to it, at the end, that you'll see at the very end of this scripture in verse 20, it says that God didn't let one word of Samuel's fall to the ground. He was a prophet who spoke to his generation, who was, who was respected because the things he said came true because he was a man of God who had heard the voice of the Lord. And that's what you are. And that's what God's called us to be.